Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson. This episode is brought to you by Live Casino, as always. You know what time it is? It's time for football and time to jump into the action at FanDuel Sportsbook and lounge at Live Casino. Bet on your favorite teams at our self-service kiosk and sit back and watch the players duke it out on the field on our massive 40-foot video wall. Bet, watch, and win at Live Casino Pittsburgh, Route 30 at the Westmoreland Mall. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And strange one today. Um, kind of have a hodgepodge of little short topics, a couple minutes each. Probably won't be a super long pod. Things I've found in the last 24 hours as I search the net or wanted to chat about whatever. Um, I think tomorrow I'm going to start talking a little bit about playoff games. I mean, during the playoffs, we're definitely going to preview some games here on Thursdays and Fridays. Maybe Monday even talk about some things we saw. Certainly mix in tons and tons of Steelers, of course. Still don't have any Matt Canada news or anything really breaking out of the South Side in the last 24 hours. So I saw that Pro Football Focus put out their all-pro team. And Minka Fitzpatrick was the only one that was first team for the Steelers. He was their number one safety, as he would be for me. I think he's the best safety in the league. Derwin James has a case, but Minka had a better year, played more, blah, 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 much different. Kind of Ed Reed versus Paul Amalu to me. But here's what they said about him. I'm just going to read this verbatim. And then I found something in that was really interesting in addition to. But <clears throat> what they said is... Fitzpatrick is capable of game-changing plays, so his highlight reel stacks up with any safety in football. No argument from any of us, right? Uh, he doesn't always play at that level, but when he does, he is an unquestioned all-pro. They always question him that he's inconsistent. I, I don't quite get that, but anyways. Um, but he this season, he's generated six interceptions, as I'm sure all of you have known, four pass breakups, and posted the best pro football focus coverage grade of his career. So as a coverage player, it was his best year per pro football focus, which their coverage grades I don't take as gospel. But I do think this year, especially once KZ returned, he did a lot more. It wasn't just deep middle. I mean, he would play man coverage. He'd crowd the line of scrimmage. He'd play Waller, Andrews, whoever, and man coverage. Still does a lot of the robber stuff. But here's what I dug up, and I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me because I heard it from Robert Mays' podcast uh, on The Athletic. And what Mays said was Fitzpatrick led the league in interceptions. You know, we know that. But contrary to that is he also led all defensive backs, slot corners that played near the line of scrimmage a lot, in run stuffs. On third and fourth down, by an unbelievable margin. I'm going to find it for sure. I, I reached out to Robert to get to get the numbers exactly. But he Minka has 17, I think, run stuffs. You know, plays made at or behind the line of scrimmage on third and fourth downs. Critical stuffs. That's not only the most of all defensive backs, but he has 17. Number two has like 11. So I'll verify that tomorrow when I get it, but I'm almost certain I nailed it. Um, that's ridiculous. I mean, he used to play so much single high, and now when they bring him up down the line of scrimmage, he makes huge play after huge play. I mean, to me, that's ridiculous to me. So again, this is also from Pro Football Focus. 
they did their final offensive line rankings. Um, and the Steelers came in 16th. I mean, folks, Dan Moore, Kevin Dotson, Mason Cole, James Daniels, Chuksa Korafor, they're not first-round picks galore. They're not unbelievably high-priced Joe Tooney free agents. You know, some of them make some money, but it's an offensive lineman that are, you know, obviously in demand and there's a shortage in the league. If you told me before the season the Steelers would end up with the 16th best offensive line, and frankly, I think that's where they belong. I mean, I, again, I take some umbrage with pro football focus, and I'll gladly call them out when I disagree. I don't disagree with Minka. I don't disagree whatsoever with them being the 16th best offensive line. Now, I will tell you, here's our two little bullet points that they said about them, is the Steelers started the same five linemen for every game this season, making this the most stable unit in the league. Uh, I quoted it in my article for DK this week. Collectively, those five missed 46 snaps, with Mason Cole being the one that's missed the most by far. Folks, that's not going to occur. I mean, that's not going to keep up. We just, you know, get used to that, that it's not, that's a fluke occurrence. So that's tremendous. And I'm sure they've played through their share of pain, but that's not going to keep up. Um, but they also were able to really rack up an unbelievable amount of continuity and familiarity with one another, which is going to pay off going forward, even if they draft a left tackle and Moore's gone or injuries hit like crazy. I mean, they're not going to play the same five all next year, too. But there is some good from that, too. It's kind of a two-sided argument. So Pittsburgh's line ranked seven in pro football focuses pass blocking efficiency surrendering 138 pressures on 639 pass blocking snaps for two different quarterbacks. Pass blocking, it's important. You need a rapport with your quarterback too. Like Kenny's not super easy to pass block for because he'll move when he doesn't have to, does things out of script. You got to remember those linemen aren't looking at the quarterback. Like those People would tell you Michael Vick was the hardest guy to pass block for because I don't know where he is. I might push my defender right into him because my back is to the quarterback in protection. So there is a rapport, pass block for Brady every time, pass block for Marino, Ben, whoever, you know, like I know where he's going to be on every certain play. So the fact that there was two, and trust me, many, most lines in the league had a pass block for more than that this year. So I thought that was really important. Um, they called James Daniels the best player on the line, which I agree with. And what they said is there's no clear-cut standout on this line, but the free agent acquisition may have been the best case this season, may have the best case this season. He didn't allow a sack all year and was called for just five penalties. Didn't allow a sack all year by their, their metrics. So you'll take it. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. Um, let's do a quick break here. Like I said, this is not going to be a marathon. And come back with a couple other nuggets that I found from around the league. I am back. This also was from Pro Football Focus. I just kind of cut and pasted these all together. Um, talking about they ranked their top rookies, I don't know, top 20, whatever, right? But Kenny was 11th. He was their 11th best rookie. Position doesn't matter for the whole year. 
75.5 PFF grade for whatever that's worth. Um, here's what they had to say about it. Much has been made about the Steelers going nine and eight on the season to keep head coach Mike Tomlin's streak of finishing above 500 moving along. And we look back on why that happened this year. Their opinion, Tomlin's decision to turn to picket at quarterback was key. He did struggle a bit over the first half of the season with no PFF game grades above 67 for the first nine weeks of the season. Remember, he ended up at 75-5. So, no game grades above 67 over the first nine weeks, but finished the year strong, producing a 70 grade or better in the final five games of the year where he saw significant playing time. So, that's big. I mean, they didn't count the Ravens game, I'm sure, as one of those five because he didn't last very long. So, he did his best work, in their opinion, the final five games of the year. That's what you want from rookie quarterbacks. Um, this was from Football Outsiders, and they did their final regular season DVOA, and then they had some you know wrap-ups as well. And one of the things that they were proud of was they predicted the teams that would have the hardest schedules quite well. Their preseason predictions came true that the Jets had the hardest schedule in the league, followed by the Steelers, Dolphins, Bengals. They had predicted the Steelers to have one of the hardest schedules in the league. When it was all said and done by DVOA, they ended up with the second hardest schedule in the league. They were the hardest schedule pre-buy, but for 17 total games, Steelers had the second hardest schedule, only behind the Jets, slightly ahead of the Dolphins and Bengals. Um, this appears in my article, so you can just go read it, but I told you yesterday about how the goal for the offense this offseason, number one goal, Pickett's development aside, is creating big plays, explosive plays. So I told you I geeked out on my spreadsheet, and I did, but I couldn't help myself. I had to add a couple columns. So I'm going to repeat what I wrote for my article the goal for this offense should be the continued development of their current players, continuity, and greatly improving at creating explosive plays. Explosive plays are defined as runs of 10, more, 10 yards or more or pass plays of 20 yards or more. So the Steelers only created an explosive play on 8.75% of their offensive snaps. Only nine offenses were worse. And that's about where they were run and pass. And I thought... Boy, the tape makes it look worse than that. Like, I can't believe there was nine offenses worse. So, as I hinted that I might do, and of course I did it, I took it a step further. So, let's take it a step further. That's what I wrote. And examine runs of 20 yards or more and pass plays of 40 yards or more. As opposed to 10 and 20, we're going to do 20 and 40. Guess what? The Steelers are dead last in such runs and passes combined. Nine total, we'll call them explosive pluses. I just made that up. Um, with dead last in such runs and pass combines with 11 total and only three pass plays all season of 40 or more, also worst in the league. That's brutal, man. I mean, you're last in real big plays. You'll call them explosive pluses, super big plays, whatever. The Steelers produce such a play either on the ground or through the air 
on under 1% of their offensive snaps last year. Only eight offenses produced such a run at a lower rate than the Steelers, and Arizona was the only was, was worse than the 0.27% of plays that went for 40 or more yards through the air. So that stat backed up what I've seen on tape. Offense isn't nearly explosive enough. Okay, they did have more 10-plus yard runs than I thought. They had more 20-plus yard receptions than I thought, both of which were near the bottom. But when you really take it a step further and say 20-plus yards runs and 40-plus yard passes, they were worse in the league, and it really wasn't even that close. That, that can't happen. So another thing Pro Football Focus did yesterday is they had one of their cap-type guys put together a chart of what teams have the most off-season capital to get better. And th- I found this interesting too, is they gave, they weighted how much cap space you have. They gave that a one, you know, like, whatever. I mean, that, that's worth one point. But your draft capital is a better thing to have. Like it's better to have the first overall pick than the most cap space. So they weighted draft capital 1.5 weight, where effective cap space is a weight of one. And then they also took it a step further and said, pro-rateable money, basically stuff you can move around, they weighted that 0.25. You know, so if you have all kinds of cap flexibility, that's also great to have. So they're they're looking at how much cap space you have right now, January 10th, well, the 11th, um, how much draft capital you have, which the Steelers are good at. And how much money do they have to shake around? And they put together this table and ranked all the teams. Texans have the most. I mean, they have a ton of draft capital. They pick first or second overall. Uh, They also have a ton of cap space. Bears are second. They have the most cap space anyone's ever have, as well as the first overall pick. But they don't have their second rounder. Uh, Seattle comes in third. The Raiders come in fourth. New England's fifth. The Falcons are sixth, Detroit is seven, Colts are eight, Giants are nine, Cardinals 10, Chiefs 11, and your Steelers come in 12th. Um, They have a fair amount of cap, or, you know, kind of above average with draft capital because they picked middle of the first round, but that second rounder they have is tremendous. Um, They're right about middle of the pack in terms of available cap space as we have now. And they have a lot of flexibility to create more. So 12th best resources to improve this offseason. Folks, usually they're like 30th. I mean, during the Ben era and recent years, they're never up this high. That's really promising to me. Uh, While I have the list here, I'll just pull out the division. The Bengals are three spots behind the Steelers at 15. Someday they have to pay Joe Burrow, though. Um, And then we got a gap here in terms of the Browns and Ravens are right next to each other. And only the Titans, Chargers, Niners, Vikings, Bills, Saints, and Dolphins are worse than those two. So the Ravens and Browns are at the bottom of the league in terms of what they can do to get better. And that was before even re-signing Roquan, who's a huge, huge cap hit. So they don't, Ravens don't have much in the way of, uh, draft capital. Uh, they traded that pick for Roquan. They're picking, you know, somewhere in the twenties. Um, they did have a fair amount of cap space, but just used a bunch of it up. So they obviously dropped on this list. They're probably bottom five at this point. And 
Last thing I have for the podcast today is Ravens related. I'm recording this Wednesday. Lamar did not practice today. He hasn't practiced in a very long time. He hasn't played in a very long time. I'm not here to make waves. You guys have listened to me. I don't I don't do clickbait, blah, blah, blah. I very much believe, and some people have told me that this is a, the case, that if, if he doesn't play this week, and I don't think he's going to play this week, that he will not play again for the Ravens. Uh, um, I think this is just a prediction. I'm not trying to get you guys wound up, but... I am predicting that he does not play this week. The Ravens get blown out. They then maybe talk some more contract and maybe they get things worked out, but I'm not expecting it. And they put the franchise tag on them and they trade Lamar. Uh, I'm telling you, that's what I expect to happen. And then they go back to the drawing board with their offense and actually throw to wide receivers and restructure things offensively, maybe fire and hire a new offensive coordinator. And they'll get stuff for Lamar, of course. I mean, you, you'll put the franchise tag on them. Somebody might even sign them, give them the two firsts for that. Um, I keep hearing that the Panthers and Falcons are the teams that would love to give some picks up for Lamar. And I'm sure they're not alone. So, since we're talking division a little bit, I just figured we'd throw that out there as well. That's what I'm guessing, predicting would ha- is going to happen in Baltimore, which means massive shakeups and probably a step back in some way, shape, or form for the team as a whole next year. So, there you have it. Uh, we will talk tomorrow. See you.